hello, it's Richard Barnes from the IanAbernethy.com podcast. Yes, the IanAbernethy.com podcast. Not the usual JeffThompson.com podcast that you usually get me on. Uh, no, I've gone over to the dark side <laughs> to talk to the one, the only, the much lambasted on the JeffThompson.com podcast. No, that's something different. Simples. <laughs> <laughs> The, the only Ian Abernethy, the man that can fix computers with his mind. Actually, I, I should have had the sound effects on that, shouldn't I? Should have done. I should have done. I'm, not, I'm, I'm as prepared to talk to you today <laughs> as I am to talk to um, Jeff Thompson normally, but we won't talk about him because today it's all about you. Excellent. Right. And we've got a pile of questions because you're a multifaceted bloke. I've heard that rumour. Yes. <laughs> and um, I hope you're uh, up for it. The first question, now I did ask um, uh, Mr. Thompson um, if he had any questions that he wanted me to put to you specifically. So we were going to do the who, what, where uh, and why um, basic interview technique with you and find out a little bit about who you are because um, there may be one or two people that don't know the full range and scopes of the things that you can do because you do books. That's right. You do DVDs. Correct. You teach all over the planet. That's right. And to you, about three or four students. Three or four students. <laughs> Excuse me. Read the notes. I try and do the funnies. <laughs> so, but he, he, um, I thought we'd do the Jeff questions first, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one uh, that comes from Jeff Thompson, who I know um, you've held in high regard until very recently. Well, just after I've asked you these questions, really. <laughs> um that uh, he was uh, one of the people that kind of changed what you were doing previously, because you were an, a sparky to start with before you went over that, to the the dark side. That's right, electrician for uh, whatever it was, 17, 18 years, yeah. And uh, how long um, have you been doing the martial arts bit? Was it something relatively new, or have you been doing it since a kid? Uh, well, I just started uh, in training. I was tra- 11 years old, I think I was, when I started. Um, yeah, so quite some time. I wasn't an electrician back then, though. So, <laughs> they, they, what, 11? No, no. Okay. <laughs> That's what I say, an electrician from 16 years old onwards. Okay, okay, well, apprentice for four years, and then 20 years old onwards, I was a so you start, uh, qualified you started spark. Out, you started out uh, at an 11-year-old doing the karate bit. Um, the question one from Jeff Thompson was, do you own a whippet? <laughs> <laughs> See, see, people are going to have to listen to your lot's podcast to understand all these in-jokes, aren't they? But the answer is no, I don't. Okay. But, but if they listen to the last, I don't know what, two years of your podcast, yeah. all will become clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, if we sweep aside these um, traditional northern stereotypes in one <laughs> go, can't we? Uh, what colour is your flat cap? I actually have a cap on at the minute, it's, okay. uh, uh, but it's a uh, Washington Cougars baseball cap that uh, Chris Wilder gave me. Oh, right. So nice. no flat cap on, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do, do you include string theory in your teaching? Because <laughs> apparently, according to him, you northern blokes can do lots of things with string. Yeah, yeah like keep whippets on them and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I don't, know. Okay. Does your mum tell you off a lot? A lot? She- she does, always did. Somebody needs to keep me right, still and, does. And the final question, right, while we get this, I'll get down to some serious stuff, because I want to talk about you and background and how you come to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Um, but the final question uh, of the serious stuff before we get into the, the, the unserious stuff is how's the computer business coming along? Now, this is an in joke. <laughs> 
Uh, it tells you something. I'm, I'm seriously considering moving into it. The, the uh, amount of inquiries I've had since uh, you mentioned it. Do you remember clear to people that I'm not going into a computer business? It's just an in-joke, but I've had loads of people asking me about it. I even told you I had one guy in the gym come to me to tell me he'd been on his, my website and couldn't see any notification of my computer business on there. So Hey, he was, he was most disillusioned. He was. He was very disappointed. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what he got you to fix with the power of your... Hang on a minute. <laughs> You got me going. I need to press the right buttons now. I'm going to you. 78. With the power of his mind. <laughs> that's about as much as I can do today. Look, no, hang on. It's still on. Thank you. Right. 11 years. That, that's Jeff Thompson's questions out of the way. He's a fellow instructor because I know you're an instructor with the British Combat Association. That's right. And so is Jeff. So is um, Peter Constantine. I want to talk about him in a little bit as well because you're training what you do. But going back to the very beginning, you started at 11 as a martial artist doing karate. That's correct, yeah, yeah. Is this any particular style or...? No, well, like most people, you don't know what style you... You just go to karate, don't you? You don't know about styles and things like yeah. that. And it was just some of the guys that I went to school with uh, went to this class that was about 15 miles away from where I live. So I went along there. And uh, uh, Doug James, uh, eighth dan, was the um, uh, teacher. He was a fourth dan at the time. He's an eighth dan now. Uh, he was the instructor at the club and just trained with Doug ever since, really. So... What was the impetus for going? Just peer pressure or just going along with the mates for a laugh or was there a self-defence uh, bit about it? Or? It, it, not, it was not fighting at school, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. That's what it was. You just kept, you know, young lad kept getting into fights at school. You did all right in some, didn't do so all right in others and thought this is something I need to learn to do properly, you see. So, um, and I think, you know, Bruce Lee had been on the television. I think Enter the Dragon had been shown a few weeks beforehand, so that had convinced me, you know, this is a thing I needed to learn, you know. So who's actually, okay, trouble at school? Was it a parent influence? that uh, decided to push you along in that direction or was it no no that was all, all, all my uh, no more my doing that, that was me who, who decided to, to do that and um, parents were obviously very supportive because 15 miles away you know I can't it's too yeah. far for me to walk so my dad took me through in the car and sat <laughs> outside by a tree you know? soft northerner <laughs> I thought you lot got up before dawn and go back go to bed before dawn or something <laughs> whoever uh, dawn might be I know. Should have strung up the wickets, uh, whippets, and had them drag me through. E ex exactly. See, we're going back to string theory already. Look, um, so 11, what, what point then? Because if you've been doing it since 11, and now how old are you? 21, 22? Uh, oh, I, I've always liked you, Richard. Th 38. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you're just getting the hang of it now. So what was, actually, what was the point then that um, said that the karate thing was that something that appealed to you? Uh, it grew on us When I went to my first class, I didn't like it. I got I got um, I got punched in the stomach on the very first class, dropped to the point where I couldn't breathe and got winded. So I just thought, you know, this wasn't for me. Yeah. But the instructor at the time, the guy who was taking the class that day, as I was leaving, he said, you know, sorry, I can't spend much time with you today. Uh, I won't charge you anything for the day. I'll see you next week, you see. It's a guy called uh, Alan who's long since gave up. Yeah. So I felt I owed Alan something. So I went back the next week. And the next week I enjoyed it a little bit more. But it was months before I, you know, it, it was full of fear every time I went. It was I don't know what kept me going back, but it was months before I started to kind of in enjoy it really. So I don't know, just something in me that wanted to do it, you know. So the, um, was it the, the traditional exam method where you, went six months and did a belt or a period of time. I'm just interested to see how you progressed. Yeah, yeah no, that, that was, that was uh, how it, how it uh, worked. It was, you know, you, you'd have um, set exam periods throughout the year and we'd, we'd train up for a, you know, a, a grading and then you'd either, you know, pass it or you wouldn't and then start working again for the next one. But a very traditional school, you know, a high um, technical standards as well. I mean, Doug uh, James, who's the 
the chief instructor of that group. Um, you know, he's renowned for you know his exacting uh, demands technically. So, you know, I'm very grateful for the foundation that group gave me. Okay, so you've gone from doing the basics of karate and started doing your belts, and and the thing that distinguishes you from what I understand when I'm not having a, bl- <laughs> a bash at you about your computer business <laughs> is is your um, comprehension of the the kata that is behind the karate itself what got you thinking along those lines that you know there is more to it than the, the superficial bit of kicking people and going through the the, the forms as such it, 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 I researched it a lot. I think that was the thing. That, that, I mean, most martial arts that you practice, they've all, they're all multifaceted. They've all got, you know, different um, yeah. things to, to offer. But the, the two things that really kind of interested me the most was, uh, it was the pragmatic side of it, the practical side of it. I did all the sporting stuff, but it was never really me. I was never really that motivated for that. Uh, and when I came to do kata, um, for, and I didn't get it until recently, but, but kata just seemed to grab me. And I think it's only in the last... I don't know, five or six years, I think what I've came to realise is the reason I like cat is psychologically, like bag work or pad work, you don't have to hold back at all. Unlike when you're sparring with a guy, obviously, you don't, you know, you don't go out to completely kill one another, but with kata, you could emotionally fully commit to it. So I, I enjoyed the kata, I enjoyed the, the, the kind of practical sides of it, and the, the two just started to gel in my mind, really. And then, you know, you start looking at it more and more, and then it be, becomes um, central to what you do after a period of time. So it's a, a, rec- a recent discovery, because you were saying that um, you were a full-time Sparky. Yeah. That used to press the master reset button. Oh, that secret. Don't tell anyone about that. If, <laughs> if everybody that. knew that all we ever do is knock things off and then knock them back on, all the sparks would be out of a job. Yeah, and so would computer <laughs> geeks like me as well. So, yeah, swiftly moving on. So you were a, 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 a sparky geezer, uh, and then the, you obviously enjoyed the karate to an extent that you yes. wanted to do it full-time. Um, how long ago was that? Uh, I, I went full-time um, five and a half years ago. And what, um, what, what was the impetus at that point? It was, well, I'd already written my first couple of books by then, and I'd done um, a couple of the videos and DVDs and things, and I was getting asked to do more and more seminars, and I felt that I was um, playing, really, at, 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 um, at it. I just didn't have enough time. In top of, with my own training and everything else, I thought there's so many things I want to do on, with the karate, and I just can't because I've got to go to, to work for um, eight hours a day. So that, that tension was getting greater and greater and then I eventually thought you know I've got to have to make a leap one way or another here you see so I went to Jeff for some advice um, and what he told me was you know quite rightly was you know you already know what you've got to do you've just got to kind of bite the bullet and go ahead and do it so that was on a, a Sunday he told me that and on the Monday I went into work and handed in my uh, my notice you know so um, you know Jeff assured me and he was dead right he says you know y- your time will get filled you know it's, um, you'll, you'll end up kind of turning work away you'll end up so busy and it's true once I've fully committed to it it's, um, it, it's, it's been just what I wanted it to be you know so you've, you've gone then from an 11 year old and five and a half years ago of having been a practitioner of karate for that period of time you've given up your job you've gone full time <clears throat> and it it to me, in business, the, th- the things that, su- um, that succeed are, are the things that are different 
um, from other other things that set themselves apart. And Seth Godin, uh, a marketing guru, says it's the purple cow. Nobody talks about the black and white cows, but if you <laughs> see a, a purple cow, it's it's the thing that stands out in your mind, and you tell everybody. So I, I'm I'm keen to you know understand then what is it that Ian Abernethy has to offer and teach that uh, is, is unique, that is proven to be. I mean, I just look at your news page and the amount of seminars that you're doing. You're even, you're even going to Germany. I mean, you know. I've been to Germany a few times, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, was it, what is it that you, you offer that is, you, know, you feel is different from other people? Um, that would be a difficult one. Well, uh, one is, I think, is um, I, I, I'm probably further along the learning curve uh, for the kind of the understanding of the kata and making karate work uh, pragmatically than most people are. So therefore, those that are, um, are wanting to, to go in that direction back to a more traditional route, I can give them a bit of a shortcut, really, because I can get them to where I am quicker than it took me to get where I am. Um, so I think that that's, that, that's one thing. Um, so so and, what is it, though? Okay, let's just pick up on the kata thing. What is it the kata has to offer? Uh, for, for me, that, that's where the core art is, you see. The, 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 over the years, you know, like most of the martial arts, they evolve a little bit. And I think some of these evolutions are obviously good and some of them are, are, are not so good. Uh, one of the things that happened to karate was that it got very uh, non-combative uh, and it was all about um, uh, well, physical art and, and sport and all these things are you know, worthwhile. But I think nowadays when people are saying, well, we want to, want to see it to work, to function, and the cat is kind of like a time capsule for the old version of karate. Um, so when people get into the, the, the kata, they start to see all the stuff that they probably previously um, ignored before or haven't seen. And I think one of the reasons that, I mean, that my approach is, you know, people like it so much is it is simple. You know, I, I make no secret of the fact that once you get your, your head around a, a small number of basic concepts, this is something that people can understand these forms for themselves. They've got the book. They just need someone to tell them how to read it, if you like. Um, and once they get going with that, then all the time they've spent on kata suddenly, oh, wow, you know, that was, that was time well spent. It all, you know, makes sense. You said, you often, I think you've, you've, we've had conversations where you said that the, there are secrets within kata that uh, the kata is actually a storybook. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's one of the. Um, I say that's exactly what it is. It, it's. It's like um, the seminars. I say it's like a cookery book. You know that it's a set of uh, instructions that tells you how to make. Um, you know, good quality food. The problem that a lot of martial artists have, the mistake kata for the food, you know what I mean? So we don't eat cookery books, nor do we fight with kata. We fight with the information in kata. So the trouble is what we have is in karate, we copy out the cookery book, never understanding a single word of it. So what, what I like to, to do myself and help others to do is say, well, you know, let's, let's look at what information this kata was actually created to record. And once you start to see that and you start to see the patterns, you know, it's... It, it, fits together very holistically and it's, it's, um, it works and it's fun to practice as well. Do you think you're talking about the evolution of kata? Do you think that um, some of the original messages have been lost in the kata forms or do you think they're still in there or they've been added to along the way? Oh, there's no doubt that the, the, the kata's evolved, but it depends on how you, you, you look at it, I think. Uh, I think that the information's there for anyone who wants to see it. Um, you've just got to know how to see it. Um, again, there are there's a for me, anyway, there's a small number of kind of principles and concepts that once people start to understand things like, you know, the two-handed rules, what the kata angles represent, what the stances represent, and they start to see this consistent language in kata, then it's, it's just there to be seen. 
Um, the trouble is people, if they don't know that, they can't see it. It's like, for example, if I looked at Egyptian hieroglyphics and didn't understand their form of language, they're just pretty pictures to me. Mm. But, you know, for an Egyptologist who understands what those symbols represent can say, no, no, yeah, yeah, it is on one level, they are pretty pictures, but there's a message that's, that's trying to be con conveyed here. So, um, like I say to people, for me, to understand Qatar, you need to understand what, uh, the, the problem that Qatar was designed to address. So what's it like when two um, civilians kick off in a, a fight or two or more civilians kick off in a fight and the language of Qatar. So if you understand the problem and the language of the solution, it all starts to fall into place. And all, and all those, all those um, questions are answered in the forms. I think, yeah, I think so. Um, it, once you know how to to, um, to read them, the, the trick is to to dig through all the source materials, to read through what the old masters said, and um, uh, and then to understand, say, the language of it. And once you, you can you can do that and you can look at it, it all starts to to fit together. Okay, here, here's here's a contentious question then: How relevant is what is in Kata to defending oneself today, or or would you just um, say that? the messages within Kata are solely for the, the art form of the martial artist? No, no um, well, well uh, one of the, I, I say this is the most, for me, the most important sentence in, in karate history for me, when we, particularly when we're talking about Kata. But in, in 1908, there was a, a gentleman called Ankui Tosu, who was the creator of the Hian or Pinan Katas, which are the world's most widely practiced ones. And he, he wrote down his 10 precepts of karate um, to explain this is what karate is. So at, at, at his time, because obviously it's evolved a little bit and we've introduced sporting things and stuff along the way, but at his time, this is what karate is. And the second line of his first precept was, he said, uh, karate is not intended for fighting a single adversary. It is a means of avoiding injury by using the hands and feet should one by chance be confronted by a villain or ruffian. So the karate of Itosu's time, which is karate of the Katri, says it's not for fighting another guy in a square go. So it's not for a skilled interchange between two martial artists. Yeah. It's uh, a method of avoiding injury um, should you be confronted by a villain or ruffian. And when you start to look at Kata from that perspective of like self-defense um, self or self-protection perspective, it makes a lot more sense. Most karate guys look at it from the perspective of fighting another karate guy, and it doesn't make sense. You have all these weird contrived things about people attacking you with weird punches and in set sequences, and it just doesn't work. Mm. But, um, so I, like, I, I say it's like giving somebody a, um, a paintbrush and asking them to knock a nail in with it. And then that's what a lot of people do with kata. They use it for the wrong thing and then complain it doesn't work. Well, a paintbrush won't knock nails in, but once you realise it's for spreading paint, it's, you know, yeah, I get it now, it works. So now I would say it's very relevant to, to self-protection uh, because that's what it was designed for. That, that, that's what it is, and we have that in the historical record as well. It's because you talk about on your website of ianabernethy.com, and I don't know why I'm plugging... Oh, no, I can plug that, because <laughs> your, your, your podcast goes out on iTunes, it, it? it does indeed, yeah. It not does indeed, so, so I can plug ianabernethy.com, which is spelled E-A-I-N, Abernethy. I-A-I-N. Or, or, or by the miracles of modern technology, if you do misspell it and do it the English way without the extra I, it goes there as well as. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's really genius. Whoever set that up is an absolute... Uh, insight into the way in which people <laughs> use the in, uh, the internet. With, uh, I bet our listeners can guess who that was uh, as well. Especially those that are dyslexic like me. Anyway, no, because you, you say you talk about on your website the the, the, the applied karate, and um, I think this has been my one of my bones of contention when talking to people when they're they're, they're talking up uh, their their particular style or system now. Just to uh, put the joking aside, I, I trained with Jeff Thompson for, I don't know, 20-odd years. And um, 
I've walked the walk, I suppose, and talked the talk and hid under um, bars and uh, behind cabinets <laughs> when it kicked off. <laughs> no, um, but it, it, one of the bones of contention that comes up is people will shout about how good their martial art is and how, how deficient others were. And I found that when people did come to train with us, the first thing you'd do is say, hello, how you doing? My name's Richard. Um, you know, what is it that you do? Oh, well, I'm a kickboxer. Well, I would grapple you, you know. <laughs> If, if, if they were a judo guy, I would keep them at legs, uh, legs uh, length. You know, you just wouldn't want them to grab you. So we found early on that um, the constraint of the martial art, which they, they particularly did, restricted their ability to actually be an effective um, adversary or, or, or defender of the, of the self. But you, you're talking about having this applied karate and the message that is in the kata actually does fulfill those needs to yeah, not, uh, as a as, as a form of self defence that is as relevant today as it was always. Yeah, well, I, I think so. Yes, I mean when you read what the old masters actually said, mm. and, and there's loads of people misunderstood what they said, or um, but but it's, it's there for anyone who cares to kind of dig out the books and, and listen. The, the, the never at variance. If you take like people like Jeff and, and Peter, who are the cutting edge of kind of self protection today. If you take the fundamental message of what they say about the importance of awareness and preemption and all that kind of stuff, you'll find that same, the old masters, it's reflected there as well, you see. Mm. Um, so uh, there is that kind of, uh, of commonality with it, really. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, to me, it's that idea, it's all down to environment. What environment are you training for? And then that will determine what methods you're going to use to be um, successful. And the old methods of the cat are simple. They wouldn't work well in a, um, a ring or, a, a, or anything like that. They're not good for outfighting other martial artists. They don't mm. have that the subtlety skill there. But for raw, basic, um, no-nonsense combat, you know, the, the, um, the old masters knew what they were talking about, and that's reflected in the cutters they, they, uh, they created. One of the... Um, I'm just going to switch subjects a little bit, because one of the things uh, that's impressed me about uh, by you uh, is... Uh, hang on, let me just read what you've written down here. Is your... <laughs> Good luck. Get it right. Good luck. <laughs> uh, fantastic style and pa- is that power you've written here? Power, yeah. charm, and c- is that charisma? Charisma, you, you, probably. Yeah, you don't yeah. spell charisma with a K. No, I tell you, <laughs> I can't read. With, I can't read your writing. Anyway, no, the only things that, that um, impressed me is, is the, the book that you wrote on uh, mental strength. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of kind of inspiration. Well, it is inspirational. What what was the uh, the reason for um, you know going down that line? Yeah, but with that it was um, funny really that one. It'd been a, a year or two since I'd last uh, written a book, uh, and again I've been chatting. It was Jeff that I've been been talking to about a few things, and he said, you know, you, you want to consider writing a book on these these things we've been been talking about. And it was just I, I like to do. I thought it'd be interesting to do a book. I'd written at that point, you know, four martial arts books. So the, it, that was, it was the, the process. It's always hard work writing a book, but the process was was well worn ground, really. So I just wanted to do something a little bit different, and also try and capture what I regard as the character development side of the martial arts. So yeah. I decided to um, to give it a go and and, and write the, the book on it. But it's been very well received. I mean, that was the, the nice thing. I mean, it's it sold um, well, and you know, I get plenty of nice feedback from it you see i think people like the non-flowery nature of it you see so that that's that's kind of nice to um to hear so yeah that's that's why i did that was just basically like a kind of personal challenge but i'm really pleased that people have been finding it useful so a lot of people 
kind of get the fact, actually, that the karate, you're talking about the kata has messages in it, that, that the actual art form itself, it, it's not just about the physical, there's a spiritual side to it as well, and, and by following it, you do gain mental strength and opens up other avenues. You know, that's what, what, what I believe. The, the trouble that I, it's one of my kind of um, little bugbears or prejudices, if you like, is people often talk about how the martial arts can develop character. Um, but if you ask them the mechanism by which it does that, they can never really explain it, you see. And, mm. um, I, I, like, I always remember that Gichin Funakoshi, like the founder of Shotokan, I mean, I haven't got it to hand, so I'll kind of try and do it off memory, but he, he said about how that, you know, if you've got, undergone years and years of, of mental and physical agony to learn one kick and one punch, and you, you can spar with that never-say-die attitude, he said a person like this will be able to confront any of life challenges, you know, and a person like this, he says, can be um, truly said to have learned karate. So there's this idea that through austere combative training that it, it forces other kind of weaknesses uh, to the surface you see but uh, to me there has to be that combative element and people try and divorce the two so you're either training in martial arts for combat in which case you're a mindless thug or you're training about martial arts for character development in which case you're a hippie who has no sense of reality and you martial art you're practicing is combatively useless and i don't think either of those are right i think that they're married together perfectly when you're training in that austere, demanding, combative way, um, you get other kind of side benefits off it as well, you see. You reckon there's a rever the, the reverse of that, I've only half trained... It's often more important than the benefits, I think. But do you think the, re the reverse of that is also um, dangerous, if you like? Because, uh, again, if I'm being contentious, there are a lot of McDojos out there um, that only show teach half of the method or only uh, want to show part of the art... Uh, and that's the part that which they want to grade on so they can go through gradings. But by, by doing that, do you think there is a danger that the, uh, some of the effectiveness of what um, can be taught is lost? And do you think there's a danger that of, of overconfidence and reliance on a half-baked system? Oh, oh definitely. You know, that, that's the thing. See, I, I have no problem with people training for whatever objective they want to, to train for. I mean, there's some stuff that I do in the martial arts. I just do it because it's fun. It's not that practical, but I do it because I, I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I enjoy it and I, I get some kind of side benefit off it. And if people are, well, okay, I want to go to this club to do a form of unusual exercise, to spend some time with my friends, to burn off a little bit of fat and have a bit of fun, that's great, you see. But if they're doing the same kind of, they're doing a, a sporting or a non-combative system and they're believing that it's preparing them for actual combat, or worse still, if the instructor's deluding them into believing it'll prepare them, I think that's when it's, 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 um, it's, it's immoral. I mean, in this day and age, I mean, it is unlikely, but I mean, I've had students who've had to rely on the skills that they've been taught literally to, you know, save their own lives, to protect their own lives, you see. Now, if I've taught them rubbish, that's a big... Uh, responsibility on me and a big failing on my part and it does worry me that there are a lot of um, schools that would use self-defense as a marketing uh, angle if you like but they don't kind of back it up they don't actually teach that you see so I've no problem with people doing what they want but you've got to be honest and say this is what we're training for I mean I know a girl who teaches karate and she's brutally honest about the fact that it's nothing to do with fighting for her it's all about a physical art and that's why she does it and the students know that and that's great and it, you know it works works for them you know and i admire her more than others who are um not teaching what they're purporting to teach yeah let me um talk about your training schedule because uh, again i know that you do a lot of miles actually each week uh, going to different people because you, you're quite a strong um advocate of cross training and doing different things mm -hmm. um in, in, including going to see one of the hardest taskmasters um in this country 
the guy that can think up more nasty training routines in, in a second than some people can do in a lifetime. And I say that completely with no amount of disrespect at all to you, <laughs> Mr. Considine. Uh, can I just say, um, hi, Pete. How you doing? Um, yeah, you travel, you know, you, you travel a number of miles to do that. You travel a number of miles to go and train with uh, one of the, the, nor- the north, northeast, northwest, north, north, northwest, northwest's yeah. um, best judo, judo guys. Uh, That's Mr. Right. Mr. Liptrot, you, 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 you um, like you say, you were just talking about doing different things for fun and, and fun, and do, you know, because you enjoy doing them. But you, you, you're an advocate of craft, um, doing these different things to improve your art it's, in itself. Oh yeah, definitely. You know the, the um, I've got. If you again, see, this is one of the things traditional. If you look, at, see, I would class myself as a traditional um, karateka. But if you look at what the old masters did, they all cross-trained, they all went to learn off other masters, and then they used these other influences to form what was their um, karate. So I have the kind of core fundamental um, uh, karate background that I've got, and then obviously there's bits from the, uh, um, you know, that I've been training with Mike that I found useful. And Peter's a a karate guy as well, of course, albeit from a different lineage to myself. And Mm. then I've taken, um, Peter's been a big influence on what I, uh, on what I do, you know. So, yeah, so my karate becomes what it is through these outside influences. Tell me about um, Jizen Magazine, which is something that's a recent addition to uh, your portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny that I'm just busy working on that one at the moment. No, with the newsletters, we've been sending out the newsletters for for quite a while, and I thought that you know we're not that far away. We had a few pictures to this, and we we make a PDF. We can um, we're, we've got a magazine here, so I floated like the first issue to see what people thought. Um, totally free to to download and stuff, and um, we've got you know massive you know tens of thousands of people seem to have um, have, have, have been downloading on it we'll let people put it on their own websites so it gets a really uh, kind of wide reach um, we're getting some really great articles uh, submitted for it as well so it, it's it's nice to do something for the um, pragmatically minded community if you like so they've got their own publication and you know we download it through the web and got some great stuff uh, coming for the sixth issue i'm just busy putting that one together now it's just something something that really feels that it serves you and serves uh, the the wider community as such yeah what was the idea say i thought i want to do something that's win-win for everybody here so um the the writers get to Re, um, reach a wide audience for what they're doing and because we're not reliant on um, distributors or news agents or printers to, to get the magazine out we can basically we, we've got no one else to we, we write it's done by written by a martial artist put together by a martial artist for martial artists so there's some of the articles that we've published in there that you, they just would never find the way into uh, mainstream martial arts magazines they're just either you know too long or too controversial or too graphic but we, we don't have any of those restrictions so it, it just it gives an outlet for kind of that side of things. And, um, yeah, thankfully, people seem to really like it. So what's um, Ian Abernethy going to be doing in the next, you know, months to come, the next few years? Have you got aims and objectives of things you want to achieve in, that, in, in the, coming, the coming years? Yes, yes. Well, the, 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 the short-term ones, uh, the, uh, well, short to mid-term is... Um, is the Satma thing that, um, that I'm wanting to do is the, um, like, uh, we have this kind of loose community really that's built up around the, the website and other things. Um, so I want to set up a, what I've called the, the Society for Applied Traditional Martial Arts. So for people who think like, uh, that I do, um, to kind of get together, swap information and help each other out, you see, because it's almost like this alternative subculture to some of the more, um, mainstream karate bodies out there so that's that's the kind of the next big project really is just to kind of solidify that and again you know hopefully help the 
pragmatically minded community out by providing a home for everybody. So that's that's the the next big thing, really. Do you think that the um, the karate society um, is is growing, or do you think it's the same as, or do you think it's in decline? It's, ch- it's changing. That, that's a big, big. I mean, obviously, I'm in an odd position to most, but um, like you were saying before, if you look at the, the amount of seminars that that I'm doing for this part of the year, you know, like more, like more or less every weekend, I'm at away at least one day. So what I'm seeing is loads and loads of people who want to return to the kind of core art, and the more I travel, and there's not just me, of course, doing this. There's lots and lots of people doing it. And the, but the more I travel, the more I see people kind of picking up this and running with it and realising that this is a way to bring the art that the practice to its its, its fullest, you know. Um, and we just so I think this what I call three K karate, where they do you know kata ki on a kumite, so basics, forms, and sparring, where all three of them are separate and never them shall reach. I think that's in decline. I think that that's kind of on the end of its its day really and we see this more holistic traditional approach being the one that i think in the next 10 years i think that'll be the mainstream one and certainly that's the one i see growing in popularity because it just you know it works and people like it well before we finish i've got one final question and uh, it comes uh, well, we started off with questions from the this, the, the person that uh, <laughs> uh, uh gave me a list to ask you um jeff thompson um i know he's a bit been a big influence and the last thing he wanted to know was if you were to have a whip it, <laughs> what would its name be? Oh, so that would be up to the kids. Ah, you know, right, okay. see, uh, the, you know, the kids name all the animals. So I don't know. We just got two new cats this week. So the, the Sorrel, I don't know what that, where that came from, and Grace were the two names of the cats. So if we've got a whip it before, then it would be one of those two. I'm sure. Sorrel or Grace? Obviously, or Grace, yeah. obviously, having two new cats, you don't have the. Uh, the the stigma that's attached to our family of a bro- uh, of a, 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 a King Charles spaniel that humps a broom constantly. <laughs> see, see, that's what I thought. I thought, you no, know, now I've got so Richard's on this podcast. I thought, I wonder if any point we're going to mention his dog's sexual dysfunction. Well, uh, do you know what? <laughs> I, I wonder if we can drop my podcast the level of Jeff's. So uh, it's good to hear it got mentioned. Given <laughs> time, I tell you what, the depths <laughs> of depravity will be here. <laughs> Now, I, I'm going to say, it's, as, as far as Marley's concerned, he doesn't regard it as a sexual dysfunction in any way. He, he, he doesn't see it any sort of dysfunction. He's just happy to function on the broom whenever it's about. <laughs> so, but, uh, yes, he's coming up for his six-month check, um, uh, check, and the wife is on about sending him for, um, sending him for the... Um, well, it doesn't bear talking about, really, does no, it? No, no. Did I tell you about when my, my wife uh, sent our dog for that or not? No. No, well, it was about... Um, the dog had the, the operation. The operation. Then, the operation. Then about two weeks later, I had a similar operation, you see. Decided that three children were enough. Not, not by the and same then, bloke? Not, not by no, the same okay. bloke, no, no. And then uh, when my eldest son, you know, my wife was explaining, you know, that daddy's a bit tender and no jumping on him when you get in so she said to him you know um, dad's at home you know he's, he's had an operation so you know you just you, you be careful so then she explained what the operation was and the, the look of fear on me two boys faces they go mum you've got you've got to stop doing this to people <laughs> you've got to, you've got to stop doing <laughs> fearing that they'd be next you know the dog had been done now dad is just about retired oh uh, do you know what did i ever tell you i met a bloke that used to do that but he was one of these, that, yeah. That the, operation, yeah, yeah. He, he was a back, he was one of these backstreet guys before it was, you know, available on the NHS. And you know, he'd do it with a piece of string and two bricks. And I said to him, "For Christ's sake, does that not hurt?" He says, "Not if you keep your thumbs out of the way." <laughs> <laughs> 
on that note, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Mr. Abernethy. Yeah, you too, Richard. And uh, I shall um, I shall talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks once again. See you now, mate. Bye-bye. <laughs>